I am so glad you guys are here. I'm actually so glad I'm here. So I had a dilemma during hunting season, during the peak of the rut. I thought, do I have hip replacement surgery and miss Christmas Eve or not? I thought about this service. I thought about this night. I thought about you guys. And I thought, you know what? Hunting season's got to be cut short. I got to be here Christmas Eve. So thank you guys for being here. Thank you guys online for being here. I pray um, that the Lord will meet you and speak to you clearly, and he'll feed you as we go to the table. So we are in um, Luke chapter 2. But first, I did want to share, if you can get on the overhead, I want to share some things I learned in 38 years, things you never do during a Christmas service. Okay, never, number one, never tell a joke. That's, that's great advice for any sermon or any public speaking. Never, never tell a joke. Because if you're funny, funniness will just roll out of you. If you're not funny, you can't buy a joke. Okay, number two, use regular language, right? I don't need words that are this big from some theological dictionary that only five people in the congregation understand. we got to talk like Jesus did, regular talk. That's number two. Number three, you want an insight insight to preachers? Do you know for a lot of preachers, they have more anxiety over Christmas Eve and Easter than all the other services combined? Do you know why? Because of you guys. Because you call me and go, hey, my uncle's coming. He had darkened the door of a church in 30 years, and your job is to lay the gospel out and get him saved. I get those calls in the hospital, too. You know, they're dead. They're, they're in ICU. Or they're almost dead. They're in ICU. They're, they're not even awake. And then it's my job to go save them. Friends, I just want to tell you, let's just relieve ourselves of the burden. God's going to do what he's going to do. His word will not go forth void. But it's not my responsibility or anybody's responsibility to push faith down somebody. Faith is a gift. So I learned that. I could just take that burden off. Okay? And if you've brought somebody, Relax. God is bigger than you. Um, let's see what else. Oh, okay, this is a great one. I learned this a couple years ago. Beware the eggnog between services. Now, that's not a joke. This is a real-life event. We had a, uh, a priest on staff, and it could have been me, but it wasn't. He was leaving to go to another church, and he loved Church of the Holy Spirit, and he might have been overserved eggnog between services. I'm sure he didn't know it was adult eggnog. But by the time he got to the late service, I had to sit him in his seat. So beware eggnog between services. We did not have any eggnog. Uh, Last one is, and this is the most important, drum roll, please. No disparaging of St. Nick. I'm saying that gingerly. No reveal parties. Amen? I've had some mothers, like, pull out daggers on me on that one, okay? We don't mess with the Easter Bunny, and we don't miss with St. Nicholas. All right, so let's go to our next slide. So what we want to do is we want to dive into Luke 2. Uh, at the early service, my, my wife and uh, my grandkids were here, and Annette is a Baptist becoming an Anglican. And she says, Quig, we have to have the birth narrative, Luke 2. I don't want all these other fancy things. I want to hear about the story, the good old story. So we're going to do that real quick. But that's not where we're going to camp out. We're going to camp out in Isaiah 9. And you're thinking, Isaiah? No, this passage, which is a sign for Christmas Eve. This passage is such a practical way to apply the birth story. 
right? So we're going to go there. But first, let's look at Luke 2. And all you who were raised hearing the, the story, the birth of Jesus, you're going to celebrate because we're going to do that real quick. So turn in your Bibles, turn your smartphones. If you have Wi-Fi on, turn that off because we're streaming and we don't want um, Aunt Tilly to lose her Facebook Live, okay? So we don't want that to happen. All right. So what's actually happening? If we just look at Luke 2, the birth story, what's happening? Well, the first thing that happens is we find out, it says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken. A census. Now, we know about census in America, but i got to ask you the question, why was there a census? Well, just nice people from the government who want to count us. Why do they want to count them? So they could tax them. Anytime somebody from the government's counting, just grab your wallet, okay? So there's a census. I want you to know that the, the actual text says that this census happened. Uh, it was the first census that took place when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Well, none of us know squat about Quirinius. But the thing that's important here is that the writer of Luke, who is a physician, roots the story in human history. He wants you to know this isn't the tooth fairy. Okay, sorry if I busted that one. It's not the tooth fairy. It's not Tinkerbell. This is a real event in human history, and it's when this guy was a governor in Syria. I think of one of my friends, Al Parat. He, uh, he was a history, PhD in history. One day he was doing naughty things, illegal things, and he was reading the Bible. Because see, God puts an eternity uh, in, in every man's heart. He was reading the lineage of Jesus, like Jesus was the son of Joseph, was the son of so forth, so on. There are two lineages in the Gospels. And he was reading them, and even in his altered state, he's like, oh my goodness, this is real. This is not made up. Read the lineages of Jesus. You'll see they're real people. One of them goes all the way back to Adam. And so if you want to know, does Jesus believe in Adam? Absolutely does. And so there's a census. Uh, it's rooted in human history. We see movement of a family, Joseph and Mary, and they go from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? They go to Bethlehem, a big whoop-de-doo. But it is big whoop-de-doo. Why is it big whoop-de-doo? Because it says that Joseph was from the house and the line of David. And if you hear that, you go, well, that's interesting, but so what? Well, in Isaiah 11 and in Jeremiah 23, God speaks through the prophet and says, the great King David will have one that comes after him who will be king and ruler forever, forever and ever. Amen. He will be a shoot from the root of David. And so what the gospel writer is telling us is that Joseph is from the line of David. In other words, this one that he's the earthly father of, is in the line of the Messiah. That's why they went to the city of David known as Bethlehem. Next one is, there was a virgin, Mary. And guess what? She gave birth to her firstborn son. I want to read this. Men, I want you to pay attention. Ladies, you get this. Okay, I want you to read uh, Luke 2, 6 and 7. It says, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. Well, that sounds like a man wrote it. Did, 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 listen to it again. It says, while they were there, 
the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. That sounds exactly like something a man would say. When my wife gave birth to our first child, I remember I had a camera, I was taking pictures, big surprise. Veins were popping out in her neck. She was screaming words I'd never heard a Baptist girl say. She was in pain, y'all. And I almost put my camera down to help her. But the point was, this guy is like, you know, it's like I had a tooth pulled out. No, no, it's a big deal. Mary went into labor and she gave birth to a son, not just to any son, but to her firstborn son, whose name was Jesus, which means Yahweh saves. God is salvation. And what else in the story? So finally, as we finish Luke 2, we see uh, an angel appears to shepherds, an angel. And when the angel appears, uh, the shepherds were very afraid. Like maybe if you haven't been to church for a while, you're like, oh my gosh, the church building is going to fall on me. I've actually had people say that. And I always tell them like, look, if it didn't fall on me, it ain't going to fall on you. You're okay. We're glad you're here. And so as the angel appears to the shepherds, the glory of God shone around. There's a lot of God talk. There's a lot of God activity. But I had a girl in Uganda, a poor girl living in a slum. She says, I wake up every day no later than 3 o'clock. And, and I'm awake from 3 to 5. She says, I just like being in the presence of the Lord. She lives in a slum with dirt floor, wet, poor, I just like being in the presence of the Lord, the glory of the Lord. There's no greater place to be. And if you've never been there, friends, taste and see it is good. And the last thing is, the angel says, fear not. I have good news of a great joy. The reason a lot of folks don't want to become Christians is they think it's bad news of no joy. That's what I thought. That's why I didn't want to become one. But the gospel says, the scriptures say, Behold, I bring you great news. Uh, what does it say? Good news of a great joy. Good news of a great joy. That's Christianity. Okay? And he says a Savior is born. And the very fact that a Savior has been born, a Savior, indicates that we actually we need a Savior. We need a Savior. I didn't have to have somebody give me a track to tell me I was a sinner. I already knew it. Nobody had to yell at me. I already knew it. But I didn't know the Savior. And so that's the birth story. And that's an awesome story. It's just hard to apply. Now, I want you to turn, if you have a Bible, I find in these modern days, most people have smartphones. Smartphones, whatever you got, man. Billy Graham says the best Bible, the best Bible is whatever one you'll read. So we go to Isaiah 9, and we got to go quick. So it says this. And remember, Isaiah is speaking 700 years before Jesus. 700 years. So what would 700 years prior to tonight be? What year would that be? Huh? Right. And uh, that's like primitive little people, right? No medicine. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you can imagine this is a long time before Jesus was born. Isaiah didn't know him. I'm not even sure he understood the words the Lord was giving him, but he was obedient and he spoke the words of the Lord. And so the bottom line is, He's writing, he's speaking, not to pagans, but to God's people. That's a very important point. He's speaking to God's people. And in this passage, we see um, that God promises he's going to do something amazing. In verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 1, it says, In the future, he's going to honor Galilee of the Gentiles. He's going to honor. And, but then he tells the situation or the context. Again, he's speaking to his people, not to pagans. 
It says the people that are walking in darkness, it's not just that they, they slipped, not just that they were overserved once, they were walking in darkness. They loved darkness. They didn't love the light. They weren't just standing in it. They weren't just sitting in it. They were walking continually in darkness. Some of you guys have just been the best little people your whole life. You know, you've just been good little people. Some of us didn't live that life. Even as Christians, some of us don't naturally have this desire to be good, do good. And the amazing thing is that God addresses that. It says the people, even my people, we're in a deep darkness, a deep darkness. Some of you right now this morning, or this afternoon, it's not morning, this, this evening, this evening, you know what it is to be in darkness. You're in darkness. Nobody has to tell you. No one has to yell at you. You know you're in darkness. The problem is you don't know how to find your way out of it. The amazing thing at Christmas is that God finds your way out of it. So the people walking in a deep darkness, what? It says to them, what? What happened? They've seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. A light has dawned. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. It's not a light like a light bulb. It's not like a light like enlightenment. It's a person. People walking in darkness have had God himself, in whom there's no darkness at all, appear to them. What an amazing gift that God would come to people walking in darkness. And then, and then some other things happen. It says, uh, it says, you have enlarged the nation, and you have done what? You've increased there. The quicker you answer, the quicker the sermon will be over. You've increased there. Oh, can we have joy in the church? I'm serious, y'all. Like, goodness gracious. Christians always look so grumpy. But the, the picture is that once you've been walking in darkness and once you meet the light of the world, that you're going to have joy. Have you seen it? I've seen it. I've seen it in others. I've seen it. I've experienced it. I myself have experienced it. The people walking in darkness, they've seen a great light. Uh, God is increasing their joy, and so they do what? As he increases their joy, naturally they do what? They rejoice, just like pirates uh, dividing the plunder, just like people at the day of harvest. And that's all great, but there's something else that Jesus, the Messiah, does. And I want you to look. It's in verse 4. It says, as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered. Uh, as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them. In other words, you've broken the yoke of burden that are on your people. My gosh, I saw a movie. I don't remember the name of it. It was with uh, uh, 61. Who can remember? But he would shake Christopher Walking. He would shake somebody's hand. He'd shake their hand and he'd see their future. Yeah, well, that's probably it. Man, what a curse. What a curse to be able to know the future. What a curse to know everything. That God has spared us of not knowing all things. What a blessing that is. What is a blessing. The yoke that burdens us, God's people has been broken. What yoke are you under? What burden are you under? I mean, we don't like going around telling people, but sometimes it even gets back to the pastor. We're the last to hear. But sometimes people are in so much pain and so much misery. COVID's only amped it up, amped up what's already there anyway. 
And people are telling me, I can't do this. I can't live like this. The, 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 the prayer book we used as a boy said, the burden of our sins is intolerable. I used to laugh at that going, ah, I had pretty good fun with the fraternity. But the truth is the burden of our sins is intolerable. God has made us for so much more, not to root around like hogs. He really wants us to have his joy and to have walk in the light. He wants us to know peace, shalom in our spirits, and so many of us don't have it. And so he comes. Isaiah said he's coming. He's going to break the yoke. He's going to break the rod of the oppressor. And, of course, I immediately thought of Pharaoh and the bad people in Egypt. But I was reminded, I think Eric and the praise team were singing this song by Andrew Peterson from Behold the Lamb. If you've never heard that, Google it or duck, duck, go it. Duck, duck, go it. Andrew Peterson's Behold the Lamb. Here's what he says. Our sins, they are more numerous than... Our sins, they are more numerous than all the lambs we killed. Our shackles, they were made by our own hands. Our toil is our atonement, and our freedom is yours, God, to give. So Yahweh, break this silence if you can. Deliver us, deliver us. Oh, Yahweh, hear our cry. And gather us beneath your wings tonight. Friends, the great news of Christmas is that God is not looking to recruit perfect people. Because there are none. Jesus said no one's good but God alone. He's looking for people who will receive the gift. What does John 1.12 say? Can you all turn faster than the pastor? I think I'll read it for you, and then we'll end. Here it is. John 1, 12. Yet to all who received him, received him, to all who received him, to those who believed and trusted in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, not born of natural descent nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. And so the happy news of Christmas is that God has made the move. He's made the first move. He's made the decisive move. He's tried to say, I love you. I know you may not believe that. You may not feel worthy of it. In some sense, you're not. But I love you so much that I write my love in blood, my son's blood. To as many as will receive him, he will give you the right to become children of God. Don't let another Christmas go by as an outsider and a churchman. Be a Christ follower. Amen.